you will, please open your Bibles once again to 2 Peter chapter 1. Follow along with me as I once again read what Pastor Doug read for us, verses 10 to 15 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is God's word. Let's continue our worship as I ask him for help for all of us this morning as we give attention to it. Father, you are good and you have positioned us here this morning. You have called us to this gathering of believers because we are your people. We are desperate to hear from you. Thank you for these circumstances that have allowed us the freedom and the health to be here. Now would you please open up our ears and our eyes to behold the glory of Christ. And may we see him for who he is and what he has done for us and continue to be transformed as you have spoken who we are and what we are to do as your people. Give grace to the hearing of the word and to the response to it. Help me to make it clear for your glory and for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I think it is wise to heed the words of dying men. Not every dying man has something helpful to say but in most cases, what comes out towards the end of a person's life is the tenor of what has been driving them. Some men may give words that indicate their entire life long was spent in pursuit of their own passions with little regard for others. And they cry out in those final moments something akin to, why am I losing this? What is this that I've been doing all this time? What is this pursuit all about? They may curse God, the, the God whom they all their lives long have said they don't believe in. But there are also faithful men that in their lives were faithful to pursue a cause. Maybe they were Christians, maybe not, but when it came time to evaluate how they lived, their words backed up what their life was trying to say. This past week, April 4th, marked the death anniversary of one such man. Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered on April 4th, 1968. Now, Dr. King then and now is a controversial guy. There are multitude of opinions about 
what he was about, but I do believe that in his time then, he was an untiring voice for racial reconciliation and for civil rights to include all people here in this country to have the privilege of what the Constitution and the Declaration said is ours by nature of belonging here in this great country. So polarizing as he was, that was his one note that drove him. And it was a note of urgency that he hit again and again and again. This past week, historians and news agencies highlighted his famous speech on the the steps of the Lincoln Memorial back in 1963, a few years before his death. But even then, he seemed to have some knowledge that his time was limited. Death was knocking on his door and there were a number of people who wanted him out of the picture. But as he spoke that day, there was a note of urgency that came out as he talked about the situation in America and what he saw going forward. And in short, this is one part of that famous I have a dream speech. He said, we have come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. And in the next part of his speech, he repeated several times, now is the time, now is the time, now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. Now we we still face that challenge here in our country, I believe, because of a deeper challenge that we will face until the time when Christ comes back. Inside of each of our hearts, there is a tendency to pursue the comforts that we believe make life worth living. And that includes even the way that we interact with others. But the Christian ideal, the Christian way of life, and the urgent way that we must pursue that life is recorded in the words of another dying man, right here in 2 Peter. As we read here, Peter directs our attention to one reality that he faces. In verse 14 of chapter one, he says, if you look there again at the text, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And what we're reading here is the testimony, the last will and testament, so to speak, of a faithful man who had been pursuing the deepest cause of all, all his life. The freedom that is the birthright of every Christian person to run, not in the way of the flesh, not in the way of comfort, but in the way that leads to Christ, more likeness to him, and the freedom even from our own squashing sinful desires and corrupting flesh that would cause us merely to live for our own selves. Jesus won that freedom for his people. And Peter, going back to the very first things as he faces his last days, draws our attention to the urgency of now. And that is the the topic, the title of this message today as I tried to figure how do verses 10 to 15 really bring together a unit that I could share with you that is faithful to this text. And there is a call here to each of us to recognize that right now is an urgent call 
Not just from this man who is dying at this time, but ultimately through him, the Lord Jesus Christ is issuing out his call to us once again that how we live right now as his people has great bearing on what we think about what he did and about where we're going. How we live right now as God's people will indicate to ourselves and to the world around us just how much regard we have given to the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. Right now is an urgent time, brothers and sisters, and even to my non-Christian friends who are, are gathered here this morning. This text of scripture draws our attention to our need to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ and our own spiritual growth and to help each other remember that every day. There are two main points today. First, before I get there, I want to remind you about where we're at in this series. We started this just a couple of weeks ago, going through the book of First, uh, Second Peter. I gotta remember where I'm at. And we're, we're just now in this section of the letter. What we're facing every week is this glorious promise of God that he commands and supplies the growth that he wants his people to have. And the growth happens in grace as we recognize what he has done for us and in truth as we understand and as we draw near to him and live out the gospel message. That's the big picture and that's what he's trying to do. Peter urgently desires that the people that he's writing to and every generation of believer after would get that sense of urgency that would pick up in the presence of this dying man how important the values of God are and for our values to be challenged by the eternal values that he is seeking to live out. This is really important urgency because there are dangers to our Christian walk there's danger to us personally. We learned about one last week as Pastor Sam read the text. If you look back at verse nine, it says, whoever lacks these qualities, I'll explain that in a moment, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. There is a danger that Peter is seeking to address for us personally, that we would not fall prey to corrupting desires that are in us and forget and to be dulled to the glorious truth that we were forgiven and that our sins were cleansed and that we would live in such a way that would prove that we are forgiven and that our sins are cleansed. And there is another danger that he will get about, get to in all of chapter two. And that danger in particular is that there are people who are outside of the church and inside of the church, who are intent on corrupting our understanding of Jesus, who would tell us messages like, Jesus is holy and perfect, but he doesn't expect that of you. He doesn't call you to follow him that way. As a matter of fact, he wants you to be comfortable and happy in this life. And by their lives and by their message, they will seek to convince you that what you need to do is not pursue him as much as pursue wealth, pleasure, and the various things that come along with this life that we already seek naturally anyway. We need to be pointed to Christ and who he is 
and what he has done for us so that our lives will begin to be transformed and reflect that by who we are and what we do. Peter is zealous that this message be urgent in the now. That means that this message is important for every moment of our lives. So the stakes are high this morning. Let's see how he directs us in the text. Two points really help us understand how he is developing this call to urgent action. And beginning in verse 10, and then again in verse 12, you see therefore. That's the division in this text. Whenever there's a therefore, you look in the text to see what it's there for, right? You wanna know what comes before this. Uh, If he's drawing some kind of conclusion, what has he just said that's important for us to know? So there's two of these. Both of these therefores point to what preceded the text, what came just before it, and set us up for what's coming next. So in the flow of this chapter, we can see that Peter is celebrating the grace of God. He's calling us to know that God, by his grace in our lives through Christ, has given us his power to live the life that he calls us to and the promises to claim and to follow and to read and hear and listen to and run after in this life right now. Therefore, he has commanded us that our faith should be supplemented by the virtues of the Christian life. And after he says these things, he gives a warning. Don't forget these things. Those who forget them are dulled to the fact that their sins have been cleansed in the past. And they are unfruitful and ineffective for the life God desires. And so by the time you get to verse 10, that therefore is reflecting back on those things. And Peter sends out an urgent call for diligent spiritual growth. And this is in essence our first point today. What is it that God desires? What is it that Peter is calling us to? It is this urgent call for spiritual growth. Look again at verse 10. Therefore, brothers, and this of course means brothers and sisters, spiritual family in the church, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. This text of scripture has a lot of potential difficulties. And Pastor Sam should have been here today. (laughs) But I know he can't be. And what I don't want to run away from are the difficulties that might come up in both my understanding of it and your understanding of it. So right off the bat, you've got a high call here. And the wording, again, be diligent. You may have in your Bibles, make every effort to do something to confirm your calling and election. Now, there are some difficulties of knowing exactly how to do that when you read this text. There's other difficulties of knowing exactly what this means. What are the words there? So I wanna clarify what the words are, and then I'm gonna tell you what this is not, and then I'm gonna tell you how to do it, all right? So again, we're focusing on diligent spiritual growth, a personal call, an urgent call for you as an individual who claim to be a Christ follower to grow and to have a diligent, eager, urgent pursuit of that. 
So first of all, just to explain some of the words. This word confirm in the text, verse 10. Be all the more diligent to confirm. Uh, This means you take some action. And what you are seeking to do is to validate what you say you believe with how you live. And you recognize that those two are inseparable. You are seeking to confirm that what you say you believe squares up with how you live. Or to take it in reverse, how you live squares up with what you say you believe. Peter's very urgent in getting that call to you and to me. And that word call, he says, to confirm your calling and election. These are two words that have nothing to do with your actions. So, in the one sense, you cannot pursue God to the extent that you would convince him that he should call you. Likewise, you cannot pursue God to the extent your whole life long to convince him that you are worthy to be elect. On the one hand, these are works entirely of God. And Pastor Sam has made that clear to us even in this text. As we face the reality of who God is, we recognize that he is a sovereign God who has the right to do what he will do. And in the Psalms we read, which we don't read enough, our God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases. And that is praiseworthy about our God. So in this sense, the call works this way. It's the second thing and actually out of order. Election happens first, call happens. But Peter puts them in reverse order so that we could get a sense of what's happened in our lives and to know how this works. First of all, there's the call of God. That's actually second in the process. I hope you're tracking with me. But Peter puts it first because that's where we first encounter the risen Jesus Christ. It's like this, friends. Last week, Pastor Sam said here, he said, even now, Christ Jesus is walking around in here. And he's coming to some of you, some of you who are not his. And he's coming to you and saying, that's enough. Put down the rights to your own life. You follow me now. You're mine. This call is like gravity that pulls you to him. But he commands you to come. And this is the call. You have responsibility in this. But then he says, confirm that this happened in your life, but also confirm your election. Now, this happened before you and I were ever here. It actually happened before Adam and Eve ever existed. It happened before there was time. Ephesians 1 kind of fleshes this out for us, that God loves those whom he saves. And he loves all. Please don't misunderstand here. And this is where the controversy comes in and the difficulty. We have the human responsibility that I will respond to God's call, but we also have this bit about God having the right to do what he wants to do and to save whom he will save. Here at church, we don't try to reconcile those things and to make them make sense as much as we say God commands us to respond to his call. So that even today, the calling of the gospel that goes out from this word is for you to respond and to step out of your sin and to follow Christ. 
And in the meantime, there is such a way that you can live that proves that that actually happened and that further validates you are God's. Friends, there's another expression if you look again at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Now, we still don't know how to do that, but Peter helps us, okay? So next he says, for if these qualities, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So I'm gonna focus on that expression right now, if you practice these qualities, This is almost synonymous with confirm your calling and election. We can't say to God, well, God, I made you call me and I made you elect me. That's not what Peter's saying. What Peter is saying is, as you live your life, practice the things that God says line up with his message of gospel grace to you. Because of who God is and because of what he's done in Christ, Believe what he says now about you and obey him as you trust in his power and his promises. That's really how it boils down. Because God has been so gracious to us in Christ, what God has done. And that's backed up by who God is. God is the loving creator God who mankind spurned in the Garden of Eden and said, we do not want you, we hate your rule. Nevertheless, God in his loving kindness that we sang about this morning in 10,000 Reasons, was your soul, I hope your soul was nourished in singing something about God that helped you remember who he is. He is rich in love, slow to anger. Okay, this is our God, who he is. Because he is that way, in the fullness of time, he sent his son to walk under the law of God in perfect obedience, but ultimately to be cursed by that same law and to be forsaken by his father on the cross. We'll celebrate that on Good Friday. That's this week, come back again. But because he did that, we in our sinful state who do not want God can see the love of God on display. God is love, he displayed that love in Christ and we can see that in our sinful state and recognize the majesty of this love, the the wonder of this love, and that we could be forgiven, unfathomable. And, And he says to us from that cross, I forgive you of your sins. I have borne them on myself. And we see further that as our resurrected Lord came out of the grave, he pronounces by that act that those who come to him and depend on him alone to follow him and to confess and to repent of their sins that are covered by that cross will be raised with him to life so that in the now we are dead in Christ, if you are Christians, and we are risen in Christ and God regards us that way as blessed as his son. Therefore, as a son or a daughter of God, What we do, we live out the life of the son or the daughter of God. We live in such a way that shows the world and confirms to us, I am dead in Christ. I am risen in Christ. I am Christ's. And what joy that gives us as we then try 
to apply the effort to living the Christian life. And here's the deal, friends. Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Grace is not opposed to rolling up your sleeves and saying, I know my God. I know what he has done. I know who he says I am. I believe that by faith, even though my life is not fully like that yet. So I roll up my sleeves and I say, let your power and your promises work in me for the good of others. This is the Christian life. This is why Paul could say back in 1 Corinthians 15 what he did. He said he was an apostle that appeared as one untimely born, verse 8. And he says, I am the least of the apostles, verse 9. But he says, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he doesn't stop there. You know, some people use that verse to say, well, I've got a lot of, got a lot of mistakes in my life and a lot of sins and I'm, I'm a pretty messed up individual. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now listen to what he said after that. Read the context, friends. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Those apostles over there. Is this arrogance and pride? No, it's recognition. I am now who I am by grace and I'm gonna work harder and I'm not in this to compare myself to everybody else and to win. The ultimate thing I want to win is Christ. He says I will, but I'm gonna live that out right now. And each day, I'm gonna orient myself looking back on that grace getting fed by it and moving forward. I mean, this is, this is Paul, and now Peter is giving us the same command. Friends, if you look at verses five and seven, look at, look at five to seven. Peter says there in 2 Peter 1, for this reason, because you've received this grace, make every effort. Okay, there, there's that, that same call that is in verse 10, be all the more diligent. And he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. If your life is pretty easygoing, you could look at this list and kind of work it out and even to a degree, fake some of these things. Did you realize you can do that? You can, you can fake some of these things. So for example, self-control. It could look very much like you have self-control. If you're avoiding certain sinful taboos that most people would agree are not healthy for you. And you might even be content to think, well, I, I have self-control. I'm not gambling at work. I'm not looking at pornography. I, I generally am characterized by having a control, even that, that doesn't lead me to get into alcohol too much. But that's not the self-control. Just as one example that, that's here in this text, this self-control is not just avoiding certain social taboos for the sake of saying, I'm really in control of my faculties. This self-control goes down to the depths of your heart so that in every relationship, your love for others, 
your brotherly affection for other people, your perseverance when people reject you like they did Christ and walk away from you, or when you face the material loss of your home or the relational loss even of a loved one, you are governed by self-control in every one of these virtues. Self-control is your barometer that helps you know that you are walking in faithfulness in every one of these ways. See, Peter's burden and my burden, friends, as I read this and as I preach it to you, is that we would not be a church that is satisfied merely with looking at this as a list of to-dos and then doing our best to do them. Again, the order has to be who God is, what do you know about your God, what God has done, who he says we are, and what he calls us to do. He calls us to apply these qualities and to practice these qualities out of our overflow of relationship with him. When I was a younger preacher, I was an assistant pastor in Ohio, and I looked at verses five to seven, isolated from verses three to four. Look at verses three to four. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us, there's that word call again, to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. When I preached this passage as a younger pastor in Ohio, I, I came up with that list of virtues and I taught the people on a Wednesday night class, see these virtues that are like a staircase going up. And if you have enough faith, just start being virtuous. If, if you have enough virtue, just add a little bit more knowledge of Jesus Christ so that you can then have more self-control. So my, my mentality, you know, my, I had a pastor who was very gracious with me. He, he often, I mean, he even told me flat out one time, I don't think you understand grace yet. <laughs> I was thankful he did that because all my life long, I tend to look at parts of the scripture like this and I get into the mindset that, okay, I've just got to muster up enough strength. I've just got to live this out and grit my teeth and be nice to people. That's not what Peter is advocating or recommending here at all. And I think of my son who, who's currently in our Awana program here. He's at the end of his book, uh, one of his books, and he, he brought uh, to us this chart that he has to fill out. He's in the sparks. Um, this chart that he has to fill out, maybe some of your kids have already done it or they might be getting to it. It, it, it charts his obedience. So it has four areas that over five days, four or five days, he's got a chart. And he can put an X by it if he did it. So the questions, or the statements are, I was obedient and made my bed when I should have. I was obedient and came to supper when I, when I should have. There's another one I forget. But then the last one, it's really, really hard to get. I obeyed every time without complaining. <laughs> I feel bad for the kid. I mean, he, he's looking at this as an opportunity to advance in the Sparks program. He wants to, he delights in, in going to Sparks, he loves it. I mean, it's a great program. I saw on the opposite page, there are three Bible verses that were stacked up. 
One was, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then the second verse said that God sent his son into the world. <laughs> and, and, and later it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The law and even a list of virtues is not our ticket to get into heaven. They are the blood-bought characteristics of a true child of God. And some of you here are still seeking to find hope in getting your house in order, getting your kids perfect, having a stellar job record, getting enough money in your 401k or whatever those are called so that you can have security. Now, those things in the right place, pursuing them are not sinful, but we make them into idols. And we can give the message here at church that if we just live a certain way, that will give us a cut above the other people here. But I'm calling you friends to recognize we by Christ's grace, have been positioned by his work alone to live out his life. When you read these characteristics, they are Christ. And they flow out of who he is. The more we know him, the more we talk to him, the more we can see how he commands us to live and receive the grace from him to live that way. There are two advantages as we see this, two motivators as we practice these qualities, and, and not to gaze inward so deeply, okay? Here's what it doesn't mean in this section. It doesn't mean, am I called? Am I elect? I, I've played those games. Don't, don't play them with yourself, okay? What you are called to do is believe the gospel. You are called to follow Christ. And the blessings of these, the motivators to recognize this, he says, one temporal motivator of pursuing this, you will never fall. That seems almost too good to be true. So what does he mean by this? Well, he's just about in, in chapter two to tell us that there are people who live a certain way. And if even you glance over at 2 Peter 2, you look at verse 12, he describes the way that false teachers live. He says, these False teachers, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, are born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, and they will also be destroyed in their destruction. What he's saying there is, they live in such a way to be driven by animal instinct. What do I want, and how can I get it? You know, all of us still are in the midst of that. Even this week, I was driving my family to get some things done and I was being pretty snappy about it and my, my wife challenged me. I was not really responding well to, to challenge at that time and she just made a simple statement and I don't even know what she said after that. She said, I, I know you want what you want and I'm pretty sure after that she said, but I'm getting to these things and I, I'm gonna do them. <laughs> I wasn't yelling at her. I was just very, you know, non-Christian at that moment. And... <laughs> I went away from there and I thought, whoa, I want what I want. What does that even mean? It's true. The only way that you could typify me right there was irrationally just wanting what I want and doing what I had to do to get it. You see, there's power not to live that way. I went later and asked her forgiveness and I needed to. There's power to live this way right now 
with the power that God gives and the promises that he holds out to us. And you will never fall does not mean you'll never sin again. But it does mean that you are in his grip and you can hold on to the realities that he has called you and that you are his. And this promise is helpful to us in the now so that we recognize we have a way forward even after we've fallen. And there is an eternal motivator as well in verse 11. For in this way, what is that way? Well, it's the way of being who we are in Christ and living it out. In this way, there will be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a blessing, friends. This does not mean like some churches, uh, my, my wife attended a church when she was younger that used this text to say that if you live a holy life, you will earn for yourself a place in heaven. Doesn't mean that. Again, the flow of the New Testament and even this chapter is who God is, what he's done, who we are, and what we are to do. And in that sense, as we walk forward in obedience to God, we can be assured that even as we step out, God will meet us with his power and with his promises and will help us each step of the way. We're like a, a rank and file army that's going into the eternal presence of the very one that we betrayed. And yet he welcomes us with open arms and says, welcome my beloved sisters and brothers. And that is what that entrance into his eternal kingdom means. That when we get there, it's not gonna be a begrudging, well, I'm glad you made it. The Lord is gonna say, welcome, triumphant victors of a lifelong pursuit of me. You've made it. And I was with you. Well done, good and faithful servants. You see, this is our motivating force that drives us. Secondly, friends, the other point, which I have to very quickly go through. It's what happens when you don't have a week to prepare a sermon. <laughs> there is an urgent call for the ministry of reminding. Now bear with me on this. In verses 12 to 15, this is what Peter says, the next therefore. And the focus shifts from what we are called to do to who he is and what Peter's ministry was in particular. He says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth you have. Verse 13, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know the putting off of my body will be soon. Verse 15, I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Here's what Peter was trying to do. He was very zealous that what? Well, that these people were reminded about some things. And what he's trying to remind them of is, is the whole flow of what the first part of the chapter was about. God is who he is. He has saved you. Now he calls you to live faithfully. And by your identity, you are his child. Live it out. And Peter says, I'm just gonna keep reminding you of this again and again and again. He essentially says, I'm writing to remind you by way of reminder so that you will remember. Okay, that's an effective tool that a teacher and a speaker can use. It's repetition again and again and again. And eventually, we start to get it. Now, I'm, I'm 37 years old. I had to think for a moment. <laughs> and for 30-some years, I have been growing in my understanding 
and remembering who I am in the midst of every day. And it is a lifelong pursuit. And Peter was certain that people needed that lifelong reminder. And it's a ministry of reminding. He, as an apostle, had a unique role, so much so that before he died, he set out to record these things in such a way that we would be able to recall them, both these people of the first century and us of the 21st. I really believe that it was recording this book, 1 Peter, probably even the book of Mark, that Peter is really influential, was really influential in writing. So friends, what is it that Peter wants us to go back to? The basics again and again and again, and to be reminded, and I think by implication that all of us who are growing, remind each other as well. We have a responsibility and a ministry to one another to remind each other. Whereas no one can make you grow, okay, no one can make you self-controlled. Likewise, you can help each other remember. So what are some practical how-tos that when you are trying to walk this out, how can you help each other remember? Well, the first one is with your words, with your words. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago in uh, the growth group that my wife and I have, uh, we were with our growth group friends and we were looking at the first part of first Peter, or Second Peter chapter one. And it says there, verse two, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I thought we would cover that pretty quickly and then get into something else. But we have one engineer in our group that really digs down deep, and I appreciate him. And this is what he said. It was an interesting question. He said, why don't we talk this way to each other anymore? The rest of our growth group, we were trying it out. You know, what would happen if we walk up to each other in church? And if I see the brother here, Pete, grace and peace be to you from the Lord Jesus Christ and from God our Father. How are you doing? You don't have to answer. Uh, what if, what if we had an intentional way of approaching one another with reminders about who we are and where we stand right now and what we're called to? I really appreciate, I have yet to have that brother come up to me and do that. He should be here in the next session in the sermon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge him through that to do that to me. There's a, there's a woman who lives in the United Arab Emirates. Her name is Gloria Furman. She is wife to Dave Furman, who pastors an international church called the Redeemer Church of Dubai. Uh, Gloria was featured in an interview my wife and I watched this week about her life. Uh, her husband, when they first got to Dubai, had a crippling disease that struck his arms. He virtually, he's 30-something he's like me. He has virtually no control over his hands anymore. And he still leads the church. He still preaches to the internationals that come there. And uh, every day, Gloria has to help him get dressed, has to make his food in manageable chunks so he can pick it up with his crippled hands and eat. His kids have to button up his clothes for him. She has to get down on her hands and knees and tie his shoes and help him go out for the day. And it has worked in such a way that it has helped her see her absolute dependence on God for the call to live an obedient life. Nobody wants to end up in a situation like that. Nobody wants to go through daily motions like that. But what it's done is it has deepened her love and appreciation for Christ and her love and appreciation for her husband and a drove of other people. Here's what she said. When she wakes up in the morning, 
and she needs encouragement or if she is in the midst of a situation where she wants to deny her identity and not do what Christ has called her to do, she picks up the phone and she has a few good friends that she can talk to and here's the question she says or here's what she says to them. Tell me something good. Tell me something good. Now, they know that as a cue to respond to her with something good. And they don't tell her the typical things that you might hear in our society, even in the church. You're beautiful, sister. You've got this. God's got your back. Go for it. Now, when she's facing brokenness that is just unrelenting, she needs something much deeper than that. She had a friend the other day. She said, tell her, Christ died. We know this by the testimony of Scripture. He was buried, but he rose again, and he is seated even now at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And from him dispenses grace and truth for everything that you need. Run to him. And she said, thank you, and hung up the phone. Do you have friends like that? And do you want to hear something good? I recommend that you commit yourself to some people and you speak to them with your words something good and give them what they need not what the world says they need to hear, not even what they think they might need to hear, but speak to them the truth about who Christ is and what he has done and what he has made us to be and what he calls us to do. And finally, friends, with your life, show these things by your life. And that's what these qualities mentioned again and again throughout 2 Peter 1 are all about. These qualities, if they are in you and increasing, will make you so that you are not unfruitful or ineffective in following the will of God. I would encourage you to take stock of your life this morning. Are you one that sees these qualities of Christ's likeness, love toward others, brotherly affection, virtue, self-control, perseverance, faith? Over time, are these increasing? Is it becoming more of a delight to minister out of your own brokenness because Christ is sufficient? Let me pray. Father, thank you for this word. It's powerful. Thank you for the testimony of scripture that calls us to reckon with who you are and what you have done and who Christ you are in particular as our Lord and Savior. And then what you say about us and what we are called to do. This is our burden, Lord. We pray that you would help us to remember it and help us to take hold of this truth even as you hold us. You are the rock, Lord. We cling to you. And we ask that you would help us to respond now as we worship in Jesus' name, amen.